listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson. This is the 40th episode of Lighthearted, and Cindy has co-hosted just about half of them. You are a podcast veteran, Cindy. Wow. Well, I'm so glad to be a part of Lighthearted. For the final episode of 2019, we are going to talk about a very historic light station at the southern end of Lake Michigan in Evanston, Illinois. I had the pleasure of visiting the Gross Point Light Station for a U.S. Lighthouse Society meeting in November. I had only been to Chicago once before, and it was my first time at Gross Point. I was very impressed. And Don Terrace, our interview subject today, has been a leading figure in the lighthouse preservation world for decades. Cindy, please help me tell our listeners about Gross Point Light Station and Don Terrace. Sure, Jeremy. Gross Point Lighthouse in Evanston, Illinois, was built in 1873 as the primary lighthouse marking the approach to Chicago. It stands on a promontory on Lake Michigan that was named Gross Point, meaning Great Point, by French explorers and traders in the 1600s. The lighthouse tower at Gross Point stands 113 feet tall and is constructed of cream city brick encased in concrete. Still in use in the lantern is the original second order Fresnel lens manufactured by the Henri Lepote Company of Paris. It is one of 16 operational Fresnel lenses in the lighthouses of the Great Lakes, and it is the largest Fresnel lens still in use in the Great Lakes. In 1935, after the station was automated and destaffed, the federal government turned over the property, except for the lighthouse tower and light, to the city of Evanston. The light was decommissioned in 1941, but the city of Evanston had it re-established as a private aid to navigation in 1946. The station has been converted into a museum. While the grounds are open to the public free of charge year-round, tours of the lighthouse are held seasonally. Donald J. Terrace is the director of the Lighthouse Park District in Evanston, Illinois. The Lighthouse Park District is a unit of local government, and Mr. Terrace is the chief administrator, and in that role, he manages the day-to-day affairs of the district and the Gross Point Light Station Museum. The Gross Point Light Station was designated a National Historic Landmark on the strength of a nomination submitted by Don Terrace. It is one of a small number of lighthouses in the country to have this important designation. Don Terrace has received many awards for his work, including the Professional of the Year Award from the Illinois Association of Museums for his work that includes research, interpretation, adaptive use and preservation planning, publishing, and teaching museum studies to both undergraduate and graduate college students. On a national level, Mr. Terrace served on the steering committee to establish a National Lighthouse Museum and is a past president of the American Lighthouse Council. He is also a recipient of the American Lighthouse Council's F. Ross Holland Distinguished Service Award. Among the books written by Don Terrace are Gross Point Lighthouse, Landmark to Maritime History and Culture, published in 1996, and Lighthouses of Chicago Harbor, Their History, Architecture, and Lore, published in 2006. As I mentioned, I visited Gross Point Light Station for a U.S. Lighthouse Society meeting in November. While I was there, I had a chance to talk with Don Terrace. As you'll hear, some of the other people who attended the meeting joined in the conversation, including USLHS Executive Director Jeff Gales 
and technical advisor Tom Tagg. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am here at the very beautiful Gross Point Light Station in Evanston, Illinois, and I'm here for a couple of days largely for a meeting to discuss the U.S. Lighthouse Society's J. Candace Clifford Lighthouse Research Catalog, and Don Terrace, uh, with whom I'll be speaking in a moment, was kind enough to make the Keeper's Quarters here at the Gross Point Light Station available for the meeting. I am surrounded by a veritable all-star team of lighthouse preservationists. In addition to Don Terrace around the table with me here are Chad Kaiser, Lampist and General Manager of the new Dungeness Light Station in Washington State, Gary Riemenschneider, who has been instrumental in developing many of the historical resources on the U.S. Lighthouse Society website, including the historic light list data, and Tom Tagg, technical advisor for the U.S. Lighthouse Society, who has played a lead role in the development of the J. Candace Clifford Lighthouse Research Catalog. And last but hardly least, Jeff Gales, executive director of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. I've asked Jeff to take part in this interview with Don Terrace, and that goes for the rest of you as well. If any of you uh, sitting around the table here have any questions or comments, please speak up. And Don Terrace, thanks so much for hosting us here at the Light Station, and thanks for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. Very pleased to have you all here, and I am always uh, try to be helpful when I can be to the U.S. Lighthouse Society and certainly in this endeavor to uh, uh, further the uh, Candace Clifford research efforts for the, uh, for the society and for all of us that uh, preserve lighthouses. Well, thank you again. So, Don, my mind was blown by the fact that you have been here for 37 years. You've been in charge uh, of the Gross Point Light Station, the Lighthouse Park District. We'll uh, talk more about that. If we could talk a little bit more about your background, how did you come to be the director of the Lighthouse Park District did you have any background or interest in lighthouses before that, that came to pass? How much time do we have? <laughs> as much time as we need. I have a background in historic site management. I talked to you all yesterday a little bit about my, uh, my past with the Evanston History Center and uh, the imagery and, and all that with, that we have here at the lighthouse um, that I was familiar with uh, from, from my years there. Um, I also have some training in uh, the administration of archives uh, from Northwestern University. I went to graduate school at the University of Wisconsin. I have an advanced degree in anthropology, specializing in cultural resource management, which dovetails in with preservation lots of times. And, and between all those three, I kind of cobbled together a, uh, a nice resume so that when the position here opened up, uh, I applied for the job. I was very young. Um, I, w I don't think I was out of graduate school yet, 27 years old. Uh, I decided to work and get a job at the Evanston History Center before I came here. And because that was in Evanston and this was in Evanston, and there's kind of, uh, there was kind of a good uh, um, rapport between the two organizations, I, I, I got a, a head start here in terms of, uh, of good recommendations and everything. I mean, that's really, in a nutshell, my, uh, my background. After I started working here, I, I kind of flourished in the, in the community. My family 
my father's family is from Evanston. Uh, we go back all the way to 1868 here, believe it or not, which mm. is pretty amazing these days with all the movement around. Did you have an interest in lighthouses? Uh, was that part of what brought you here? Did that enter into it at all? Actually, no. What interested me was the ability to manage my own historic site. Don, this is Jeff with the Lighthouse Society. At 27, was part of the job living at Gross Point? Yes, it was. Was yeah. that appealing to you? Yes, it was. I mean, it's a, it's amazing to me that I've been here for so long and to be to, to really make the, the record accurate here. I will have been here 37 years, May 1st. I started on May 1st, and I hope someday to end on May 1st. So there's no, <laughs> you know, no question about it. But but it's close enough. You know, we talked yesterday about some of the the reasons that uh, people like myself, like uh, Lee Radzik at Split Rock Lighthouse, who just retired after 36 years there. You know, a lot of times. I think most of the time, to be frank, it's not exactly for the love of the job. There are other personal reasons. I'm sure E.J. Moore, who was here for a total of, uh, I think, 38 years, one of the uh, federal keepers, I like to distinguish the between, make a distinguishing remark about the difference between the federal keepers and those that are locally appointed. And I might go off on a tangent here, but I work for the Lighthouse Park District, which is a unit of local government in the state of Illinois. We have our own tax base, so it's like, I mean, I manage a a governmental unit. And there's a lot that I don't like about that, and there are times that we all have, if you're anywhere for, for 36, 37, 38 years, whatever, that you have other opportunities to go places, but for one reason or another, you find yourself weighing the, uh, the checks and balances, the assets and liabilities of staying versus leaving. And for one reason or another, they've, the chips fall with, uh, with staying. And that's exactly what's happened, uh, to me over the years. And, I remember being here for 20 years and saying to myself, you know, I, sh- I should be going somewhere else. <laughs> and uh, then it was 25 years and I should be going somewhere else. I've written a couple of books on lighthouses, articles. I've done lots of research. And every milestone I think I've made along the way, I think to myself, I should leave or I, sh- I should be doing something else. But it never it never took place. Or there are, as I was saying the other day, there are love interests involved. And, you know, when you're 27 years old, I wasn't married. For some years after that, I remained single. And, uh, you know, the life of a, of a single lighthouse keeper is, <laughs> is, uh, is interesting, to say the least. So how have things changed and that's a big question, but how have things changed in 37 years here? How? Well, obviously, a lot of things have changed, and that that could all kinds of aspects to that, I guess. But in terms of uh, people's attitudes about, let's t- take people's attitudes about about lighthouses. How how has that changed? How have you seen that that changed? Oh, it's just amazing. I, I feel very fortunate to have come into this position at the time that I did because. 
lighthouse preservation and a, uh, a greater appreciation for lighthouses was just getting off the ground. Um, we had had the nation's bicentennial in 1976 uh, that really energized a lot of efforts to preserve historic landmarks. I think people became more aware during that period of, uh, of lighthouses and uh, how important they were to uh, the maritime history of not only the United States, but the Americas and, and around the world. And, uh, and that really helped energize, I think, the, the entire lighthouse preservation movement. But you had that to begin with. Then uh, a little later on, you had the, na- the bicentennial in 1989 of the uh, United States Lighthouse Service. Um, there was a conference in, uh, in Washington uh, that I attended, got to meet Jay Highland, who I don't, I don't think he's around anymore. If he is, he's pretty silent. Um, and a lot in Wayne Wheeler and uh, who was with the... Uh, Glick at that point in time was Dick Mole there in 1989. Mm-hmm. So I, yep. I mean, I I became good friends with uh, with lots of people that uh, were in on the ground floor, and you know I was right there um, at the same time and felt like I should do what I could to uh, help a national effort. I've always been somebody that that thought that uh, the the late um, Ross Holland told me one time. Uh, that he thought the the lighthouse community was very parochial in its uh, in it, the way it went about helping each other, which meant it, that people didn't help each other. And I've always been uh, of the mindset that the the more we work together, the uh, the better things are, are going to be. But let's talk a little bit about the history of of this light station. And here's another <laughs> big, maybe it's too big a question, but why why was this lighthouse built in the in the first place? If you could kind of sum the, the that catalyst up. for Gross Point Lighthouse being constructed was the seeds for it. Really, were set in uh, 1860 with the uh, tragic collision of the Lady Elgin and the schooner Augusta that took place right off Gross Point. There were some 400 people killed in that incident, and it's the greatest tragedy in terms of lives lost on the Great Lakes, except for the Eastland disaster in Chicago, but that that was uh, at Dockside. It wasn't a a shipwreck. In 1860, a passenger steamer by the name of uh, Lady Elgin was leaving Chicago heading for Milwaukee, and on its way back, uh, collided with a a lumber-carrying schooner called the Augusta. Uh, The Augusta hit the Lady Elgin, which was a uh, a, a side-wheel paddle steamer, below the waterline. The captain of the Lady Elgin, a very, very highly respected individual, uh, made a wrong decision and uh, thought that the damage was a lot less than what it was. The winds had picked up. It began to rain. A storm was fast approaching. Um, there was this convergence of everything bad that was going to happen. There was very little damage to the schooner Augusta. She lost her foremast, and that was about it. The captain of the Lady Elgin, a guy by the name of Jack Wilson, sent the Augusta on its way, and by the time they found out uh, how bad the damage was, it was too late. They were out of range to be signaled to come back. So in the end, to make a long story short, uh, the catastrophe gained national newspaper attention at the time, overshadowing the Abraham Lincoln, Stephen A. Douglas uh, 
presidential race and really set the stage for a uh, a call from the citizenry uh, of the North Shore here and even Chicago for there to uh, for there to be a lighthouse placed as a guidepost. Not that that would have helped that particular incident, but people felt that uh, that there should be a uh, a light guiding the way into Chicago's harbor. It didn't take place until 1873 because there was a little conflict called the Civil War that, uh, that intervened. But after that, uh, things moved along, and, uh, and in 1873, the lighthouse was constructed as the leading navigational aid into the port of Chicago. I think it's also important to note most people don't think of the, the Great Lakes as, as having uh, very busy ports on a par with New York, San Francisco, and New Orleans. But at that time, during the 1860s and into the 1870s, Chicago had the busiest port in the country, uh, which is made all the more amazing by the fact that we have something here in Chicago that's called a winter. Uh, maybe some people realize that. And uh, the shipping season on the Great Lakes is only eight months instead of 12 months. So Chicago was exceeding both New York and San Francisco in some years combined in arrivals and departures. So this is Jeff with the Lighthouse Society just uh, commenting about the fact that in general, people around the United States aren't familiar with the Great Lakes history. And when you start delving deep into lighthouse history, you become indoctrinated to how important they were to navigation, to the development of the U.S., United States economy, uh, the building of all the locks and the, and the channels and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually a fascinating subject. I was fortunate enough to, uh, to write the uh, uh, nomination that got Gross Point Lighthouse National Historic Landmark designation uh, from the Department of the Interior, and I, I really tried to hammer that home in the, uh, in the nomination form that Gross Point stands at an access that connected the uh, Atlantic seaboard uh, through the Hudson River, the Erie Canal, the Great Lakes, the St. Clair River, of course, up through the Straits of Mackinac. Connecting all of that with Chicago and through the Illinois-Michigan Canal, through the Illinois River to the Mississippi River, south to New Orleans, it was an inland transportation network that was extremely important to the development of not only the, uh, the east but also the uh, the development of the uh, of the west, you know, not having the uh, the water transportation routes that uh, we didn't, you know, specifically Great Lakes kind of transportation routes. Of course, there's there's always the Missouri River and uh, the river routes, but uh, the railroads were beginning to take precedence over uh, the uh, the maritime transportation network, but it was really the maritime transportation network and that one specifically that got things started. And then the railroads would ship all of the uh, the material westward. Yeah, it remains important to this day. Yeah. And you know, growing up on the West Coast and being educated on the West Coast, you know, as a student, we knew about the Great Lakes. I mean, I knew where they mm-hmm. were, but I had no idea what they were all about. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I started becoming interested in lighthouses that I understood the magnitude of the lakes. And one added point, uh, when I first started going to visit lighthouses on the Great Lakes, getting out on the water, being on Lake Michigan is unlike 
of being on an ocean. It's a different feel. It smells different. It tastes different. Obviously, it doesn't have any salt. Uh, the lakes are special in the world. And learning more about lighthouse preservation gives you all those great experiences and educational opportunities. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, as I said, my, my interest when I had this job, when I, when I finally got this job, wasn't really um, lighthouses, but it came to be. And I was fortunate enough to be a guest curator at the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago, their special exhibits program. I was in the queue for five years. I actually did two exhibits for them. One of them was on the development of lighthouses, the history and development of lighthouses. I, I did it on a, uh, an international scale, but in order to really understand more about uh, lighthouses in, in this country, I, I took it upon myself to travel quite a bit and went around all of the Great Lakes in addition to coastal sites um, and uh, maritime coastal sites. And it was just a, a tremendous eye-opener for, uh, for me how important lighthouses have been to this country. You partly answered the next question I was going to ask. You answered it to a great extent, but... As you mentioned, Grosse Point Light Station has been honored by being one of the one of the small number of light stations that is designated a National Historic Landmark. What what else is special about this light station that led to that designation? What about the the buildings, the the place itself that led to that that designation? Well, the the degree of integrity of the buildings had a lot to do with it. We have the only remaining second order lighthouse lens Fresnel lens in situ. Uh, left on the Great Lakes. Uh, it's still operating. It's uh, as a private aid to navigation. All of that made a, a, a lot of, carried a lot of weight with the, uh, with the committee, I'm told. I mean, I didn't sit in on this, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there are other factors involved. Don, you mentioned to me that the, obviously the clockworks are still in situ mm -hmm. as well, which is unique, but that the only thing missing really, historically speaking, uh, from this lighthouse are some special panels from the lens. Right. The ruby red panels that gave Gross Point its distinctive characteristic, three seconds out of 10, it would, uh, it would create a red flash. Unfortunately, when the lighthouse was decommissioned, those panels were donated at that point in time. It was 1936, and the Century of Progress exhibit was being held in Chicago. And uh, the United States Lighthouse Establishment decided to donate those uh, for exhibit purposes to the uh, Century of Progress exhibit, and uh, we never got them back after that. So that would be, that's unfortunate because it would really, I can't emphasize how much that would mean to have those panels back and have the whole Fresnel lens system in operation. Right. So if anybody out there listening has those panels, <laughs> contact Don Terrace at Chris Point. The lighthouse tower was built of brick, but in 1913, it was encased in cement or concrete? Actually, actually 1914. It's interesting you should bring that up because before you showed up here, I was retouching some photographs that Candace, Candace Clifford had sent me of that period. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, I think it was July 24th, 1914. Okay. And uh, the reason for these pictures and documentation was that the uh, the exterior brick of the lighthouse, and indeed the, the, the entire lighthouse, was constructed of soft um, cream city brick. Um, Milwaukee, long before it was known as the beer capital of the 
of the country. I don't even know whether people realize that these days or not. Milwaukee was known as the cream city, so it's called the brick that was produced there is called Cream City Brick, and it was very soft. So um, in 1914, the exterior brick on the uh, on the light tower had deteriorated to such an extent that the federal government uh, needed to find a way to uh, to protect the tower, and they put a three and a half inch facing of concrete, which really smoothed out the uh, the light tower, and honestly has done a very good job of of preserving uh, the light. Um, it needs to be recoated. Right now, we're using a product called Thorough Coat or Thorough Seal. I think it used to be called, but you know, it's 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 really held up well over the years. This is Tom Tag. The same problem with the Cream City Brick happened at two other lighthouses along the Great Lakes. On the west coast of Michigan uh, is the Big Sable Lighthouse. And uh, early in the 1900s, its Cream City Brick began to fail and spalled, as they call it. And it was clad in cast iron uh, and steel plating uh, from the base all the way up to the lantern room. At the same time, roughly, uh, the along the east coast of Wisconsin, the Cana Island Lighthouse had a similar problem and was at the same time clad in uh, steel and iron plating. So uh, Cream City Brick uh, apparently was cheap to buy, but didn't last that long and uh, caused a lot of problems for the lighthouse service. Quite right you are. The important thing is that it was cheap, which is kind of a, a trend in lighthouse service history, you know, getting things for a good deal. I think a lot of government operations run that way. So I understand there was uh, some fairly major restoration work done not too many years ago. Um, actually, it, you know, if you stick around long enough, like I have, you, you can actually accomplish something. <laughs> um, I've gone through two uh, really major restoration periods yeah. okay. here, mm-hmm. um, both using federal government money through the Transportation Enhancement Program. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're fortunate enough, uh, there was it, it's over now. Yeah. Um, but if you're fortunate enough, I was fortunate enough to write a, a grant, two grants, that got us. I, I can't. I don't know how much money it really was, but it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. I know I had to go back several times because it wasn't enough, and they upped the ante for us. I was dealing with some very good people here in Illinois. It was federal money, but it was uh, administered by the Illinois Department of Transportation. And there are not that many lighthouses in Illinois. They, they focused on helping us out a lot. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, recoding the tower preservation of of the buildings, reconstruction of the north wing of the building. There's been quite a lot of activity here. Uh, The 90s were a really good good period of time. Is there any work on the horizon, anything uh, in the pipeline at this point? There's always something in the pipeline. Um, I mean, I walk around this place and I feel like Roderick Usher from the fall of the House of Usher sometimes. (laughs) I, I, I see a crack in a wall and it's like, you know, we're rattles my nerves that something else is going to 
happen. And, you know, right, right when I think I have the place at a balance, something comes along to shake that balance and, um, so you fear the walls are going to collapse uh, yeah, as, as right. you leave the, on the or, day you or leave. Or the tower coming down, you know. <laughs> yeah. the, the, for those that aren't aware, Gross Point is in a pretty affluent neighborhood, and I can just sometimes uh, envision the light tower falling on this, these houses around here. <laughs> what would cause that? And, uh, it looks pretty sturdy to me. Yeah, yeah. One of the things w- one that I, I'm kind of curiously most proud of in all the years that I, I was here was um, I was I was able to get the Historic American Building Survey interested in mm-hmm. in coming here. So the, the lighthouse is part of the Federal Historic American Building Survey. And the reason I bring that up specifically is because they, they uh, looked at the tower and how straight it was. And there was only uh, a three-inch deviation to the south, interesting, which is where the ho- homes are. <laughs> but, uh, but at any rate, they said that is absolutely nothing for the amount of time that the, the tower has uh, been standing. Hmm. I, I think it's probably a little more than that now when we had some preservation work done. Uh, we had scaffoldings that weighed two tons on either side of it. I did not agree with having it done that way, but the engineers and uh, the uh, the architects said, "Now we're going to have to go ahead with this." And in order to afford it, we had to to use scaffolding, which I really didn't want to. But it worked itself out. Uh, hopefully, there'll be a better way to uh, to do it the next time around. Don, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what they can expect if they visit Gross Point Light Station? Is the tower open for climbing, and what other buildings are open? What do they see when they visit here? The site is pretty much intact, except for the uh, the fuel supply building. Uh, the fog signal buildings are used for camp, day camps during the summer. Um, there is some environmental programming that goes uh, on out of those buildings during the fall and during the spring. From November through um, March, we're virtually in, we're dormant. (laughs) Hibernation. We're in hibernation or we're dormant. Yeah. Um, But uh, if you come to visit the lighthouse, first of all, I recommend uh, phoning to to just get an update and make sure that there isn't any restoration in progress that's uh, going to inhibit our our, uh, tour season. Uh, that phone number is 847-328-6961, or you can visit our website at uh, grosspointlighthouse.net. We have an interpretive area in the uh, keeper's quarters. We have a, a terrific, uh, well, I think it's terrific, uh, film video that is shown, a, an exhibit on the Lady Elgin uh, trip up to the the top of the light tower. It takes about a, an, an hour, and it is a scheduled tour. Um, it's not just to come at any time. Um, so if you go to the website, you'll pretty much find all out all the information you need to uh, to pay a visit to us. And we certainly hope uh, that people listening out there would uh, would do that. And the open season is when again? From when we're to open June through September. But, mm-hmm. but we're not open on uh, Labor Day weekends or uh, the July 4th Independence Day. Okay. Uh, Bonus question. What's your favorite thing about Gross Point Light Station? <laughs> the history. Uh, just generally speaking, 
I think that, I mean, we didn't get a chance to talk about Orlando Metcalf Poe, who signed off on the plans, whether there's some argument about whether it's a his design or not, just generally speaking, there are only a handful of Poe uh, lighthouses on the uh, on the Great Lakes. But if you live in one like I do um, or manage one, there's a little bit more panache attached to it um, because he was a central figure in uh, in helping with the Civil War on the, the north, the side of the Union forces. And he was a terrific engineer on the Great Lakes, just a, a very very interesting, um, led a very interesting life, very accomplished guy. And to have lived in a place that, that he had a part in, in building, designing, whatever it may have been, is, is just, uh, I get a, a big kick out of that. And some of the people that have been here, too, are, are very interesting characters. So, I, you know, I, I join a, a long and illustrious list of, of interesting characters. <laughs> and interesting in quotation marks. Yeah. So, you know, Chad Kaiser uh, gets this all the time because of his role at New Dungeness Lighthouse in Washington and the Lighthouse Society headquarters in Washington. We're at a light station, so we get this all the time. People approach us and they say, well, what is it like to be a lighthouse keeper? You're the lighthouse keeper at New Dungeness. You're the lighthouse keeper at Point No Point. You know, I don't really feel like I'm a lighthouse keeper. I don't live on site, but you could be considered a lighthouse keeper. How do you feel about that question? How do you like being a lighthouse keeper? Well, I do get that question quite a, quite often, particularly because my position is appointed. So just like the keepers of old, it would be, you know, I was appointed. Um, technically, I'm a director of the Lighthouse Park District, but <laughs> I'm known whether I like it or not as a, uh, as a keeper. I wrote a book on the history of Gross Point Lighthouse, and uh, it won an award for the, from the American Association for State and Local History. I was at Northeastern Illinois University at the time, and the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences found out that they had a faculty member that won this uh, award, and they sent out a press release that got picked up, and I became known as the Lighthouse Professor. Uh-huh. Um, so it says Lighthouse Keeper, um, and then later went on to call me the Lighthouse Professor because of that in my academic association. So, you know, it, it's kind of awkward. Somebody calls you a, a Lighthouse Keeper. I think this could get into an overlong discussion of what constitutes a, a keeper today versus what constituted a keeper um, appointed by the federal government. I think these local government appointments are all over the place um, across the board. You always find yourself doing something different. But I'm sure the keepers did as well, federal keepers, that is. So um, there's some similarities and a lot of differences. I think the people that are approaching us have a very romantic notion of what being a lighthouse keeper was like. I mean, we get emails and letters all the time about uh, wanting to be keepers. I want to be remote and staying in a lighthouse and be away from it all. Uh, How do you feel about that? Is there a romantic notion to what you do? You know, I I hate to throw cold water on that. Um, I mean, you can have that romantic notion and it's all well and good. And I think it's needed in some respects. But I think most of the reason for my success here is because I've kept a very pragmatic outlook towards the the job, towards the position. And people will come up to me and they'll say, well, you know, it's so romantic to to be here. And, uh, you know, if you want it to be romantic, 
it can be romantic. A corollary to that is people are always asking me, is it haunted? Well, you know, if, if you want a place to be haunted, if you're sensitive to those kinds of things, you're going to find apparitions or what you, you people would think are apparitions or, you know, it, it's kind of a, falls along the same lines. I, I think it's terrific that people are, are have this romantic inclination towards lighthouses, but I I didn't I I don't think I do I. Well, because you were appointed and because you've been here, will have been here thirty seven years. You may as well, you may very well be the longest serving lighthouse keeper in recent history. Yes, that's I guess that's certainly correct. the longest serving lighthouse professor in yeah, recent history. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> No, I retired. I took early retirement. Uh, okay, and, right yeah. from that part of it. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So yeah. I threw all of my. But uh, I like I like that lighthouse professor designation. I think that's. Yeah. Well, I I mean I got it in writing with the letterhead, on it, so it kind of it had an impact on me too. For all intents and purposes, you are very right. much a, a modern day lighthouse keeper, along with a, a lighthouse professor and historian and preservationist and and everything else. So with that, I think uh, unless uh, Jeff or anybody else has any uh, anything you want to chime in with at this point, I want to thank you again, Don, for for hosting us here for these couple of days and for spending time with us today. It's been a rare pleasure and uh, my first time here, and I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you again for everything you've done for this lighthouse and for the lighthouse world for, I don't want to say for so many years that there are a couple more left. <laughs> There's a lot I'm not left, that I'm old sure. Yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm about the same age, so I don't want to say you're old. So thank you so much, Don. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're very welcome. I very enjoyed it very much. That does it for this episode of Lighthearted. Many thanks to our guest Don Terrace of the Gross Point Light Station. Check out grosspointlighthouse.net for more information. Thanks to Jeff Gales, Maria Cornelius, Tom Tagg, Marie Vincent, Margie Rowland, Jerry Rowland, Cassandra Rowland, Rena Guevara, Skip Sherwood, Mary Lee Sherwood, Gary Riemenschneider, Catherine Clint, Chad Kaiser, Rich Gales, and all the other volunteers, staff, and members of the U.S. Lighthouse Society who all work so hard to preserve our lighthouses and their history. And thank you to everyone everywhere who works for the preservation of our maritime history or for that matter, for the preservation of any kind of history. We are all on the same team. If you work or volunteer at a lighthouse, we'd love to hear from you. Please email Jeremy at jeremy at uslhs.org and let us know why you do what you do. What do you love about your lighthouse? What drives you to volunteer or to work at a lighthouse? Volunteers and staff are the backbone of lighthouse preservation and education, and we'd like to include your comments in this podcast. Check out uslhs.org to learn more about the United States Lighthouse Society. If you enjoy this podcast, please support it by making a donation or by becoming a member. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. And as always, thank you so much for listening and I'm gonna let it shine. Keep, Keep a, a good, good light. light. Let it shine.